You are listening to Social Bees Radio, where we put the honey in the honey pots. I'm your director, the Rickster, and if you ever wanted to know everything and anything about Web3, crypto, or NFTs, you're in the right place. So fasten your seatbelt, get ready, and let's get started. Yeah, so I encourage uh, those of you who are listening, uh, please go ahead and, and uh, tweet, uh, tweet the space and get uh, get the word out that we're having um, a discussion about DAOs and, and Web3 basics, right? So um, I think it's a, a very pertinent at this time because a, a lot of things happening in this space around Web3 and DAOs. Thank you for having me. Thank, um, it's wonderful to be here too. And really excited about this topic on, um, you know, Web3 basics. I think it's um, it's going to be an interesting uh, uh, topic right now. Very, very excited to, to actually um, look at it at a more granular level and get to understand it and um, explore this space. So thank you for hosting. Yeah, welcome very much, Crypto Witch, um, Joanne, and also N.A., um, also looking forward to this discussion today. Um, so, Crypto Simba, probably want to give out the layouts for how you want us to roll this in. Should I introduce the topics and we could just bounce off from that? Or how do you want to go about this? Probably we could just set up the structure as we wait for more listeners to join in. Um, I'm happy to, to share whatever information I have about, about DAOs and and Web3. Um, I just wrote a paper, sort of an, or not a paper, an article about that. Um, so I think basically we're, we're going to go maximum about 50, 50 minutes, 55 minutes at the most. Um, and the idea is to just go over some of the fundamentals of, of what DAOs are, uh, what is Web3 all about, and um, and we just we can go from there. You know, we can talk about some... Um, Talk about the sort of the narratives about you know blockchain technology. I don't want to get too detailed into the in the aspects of the technology, but more speaking more towards the the ideas around what it can do for us, right, and why it's so important. So we could have that. Yeah, that's, uh, What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's. I think that's also a good structure to it. Um, I also wouldn't want to dwell too much on the technical aspect of it because it may take us longer to be in this Twitter space. And I think, yeah, 15 minutes is um, good enough. So welcome, Yvonne. So probably to kick us off, I think the, the more predominant question that most people ask is what exactly is the difference when you talk about web um, web one, web two, and also web three, that what's the cutting edge difference? There are a couple of people that understand the platforms that we use now are technically on web two. So the question now becomes what's the difference or how is web three uh, looking like? And of course, now the concept of how do you foster adoption into web three? Right. So, so that's that's great because I, you know it's it's something that's been thrown around a lot. You hear a lot. You hear quite a number of variations on on how Web three is defined. One of the the most simplest ones 
is that you know if if web one which was in the 80s and 90s was sort of like a read-only web then uh, web two is sort of like a web is a read write version of that right and web three is a read write and own version of the web all right and so uh, there's there's a particular um author that i like uh lee jin she talks about this and she gives a very good explanation and to quote her she says you know a new generation of technologies is emerging with the promise to change the balance of power in the creator economy if the pre-internet web one era favored publishers and the web two in, in fav uh, favored the platforms the next generation of innovations collectively known as Web3 is all about tilting the scales of power and ownership back toward creators and users. And this quote is taken from an article where she's talking about this creator economy and how content is king. This is a, a reference that was made uh, by Bill Gates back in the 1990s, where he was talking about you know, the, the invention of the computer and how that was gonna change things about content. And but he was, you know, he was a bit, uh, he was trying to give us a warning that saying that at that time that there might have, there might be some challenges ahead. And what we have seen from Web 1 to Web 2 is the, the establishment of these platforms and uh, folks that have owned content for the most part or, or distributed content, right? So the, the, the Facebooks and the Googles who have exploited those individuals who have created uh, the content. And now Web3 is about taking back that ownership through this blockchain technology. So, Kriptosimba, so explain to us what was Web1, just briefly, what was the difference between Web1 and Web2? And then now, what is Web3? So, so what, what one was sort of the, the, the internet, I, I knew it when I was in grad school, all right? So we used it for research, and basically it was sort of static in, in, a, in a way. The information was shared in a static way. Um, and then with, uh, with Web2, you had an internet where you could engage and things were dynamic. So you had uh, applications that were developed and you could facilitate transactions and, and you could engage in creating content and disseminating information, buying, transacting, and what have you, right? So that's, that's a basic difference going from Web 1 to Web 2. And then Web 3 is, is this, what is enabled by blockchain technology is the ability to, uh, to take ownership of this intellectual property that you're creating. And this is facilitated by the fact that blockchain technology or distributed ledger technology is a peer-to-peer -peer system. And so it, it facilitates this, um, this scenario where you are in charge of your content and it's immutable and it's transparent and a whole bunch of other features to that end. So blockchain as it exists today is not something new per se, but the fact that it is now what we call decentralized as versus centralized, is that the difference really between web two and web three, or have I got it wrong? Well, the key thing in, in, uh, with web three and, and, this, and blockchain is this notion of 
you do have distributed computers. So, um, you know, Amazon has uh, computers that are distributed around the world, but it's a, it's a single organization that owns all of those computers. And the main difference is when you go to Web3 is that you have distributed computers, but those, just, those computers are owned by individuals. And so it's not a central institution or organization that owns that. And therein lies the nuance around how we can ensure transparency and immutability and uh, um, pseudo-anonymity uh, that, that this technology brings. So what is the Perhaps. benefit of that? Um, the, the benefit is that we take ownership. We don't have to re rely on sort of the middleman who is sort of exploiting us. Right? So in, in the Web2 space, we saw a lot of, uh, we saw organizations like Facebook and Google and Amazon and what have you uh, that were the platforms uh, where this data was stored and distributed sort of take ownership ultimately and therefore exploited other individuals through their data and what have you. So that's, that's the key difference is that in a, in a Web3 environment, you can have creatives collaborate with their communities uh, to own that intellectual property that they create. Thank you so much also, Leila. I think a question to you, um, Karim, would be, when we talk about platforms that predominantly um, took over Web2 and how ideally your data was being minted, you ideally was the product. In comparison to Web3, what are the versions of platforms are we going to be seeing? Because a lot of people are already accustomed to using Web2 products and platforms. And now the question becomes to the everyday person who probably may not be so tech savvy is how do platforms look like in Web3 or do we need platforms or how exactly are we going to facilitate the concept of content and also monetizing off your content when it comes to Web3? Uh, great question. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly how these spaces, uh, sorry, how these technologies are going to emerge. They are emerging. But, and the idea is that the underlying idea is that um, blockchain enables us to securely and reliably transact, right? And so this leads to uh, notions of immu immut immutability, right? So we can't have people going in and sort of hacking our transactions. So um, the records that, that are placed in the blockchain will sort of show ownership uh, that, that might indicate, for example, that uh, so-and-so Bill owns this, this property, right? Or, um, you know, Alice sent Bob 100 Kenya shillings, right? Uh, nobody can go in behind the scenes and change and hack the system. So, and, and another application would be where, for example, if I, if I vote for a particular candidate in an election, okay, that's another form of a transaction. So these transactions between individuals, whether it's around, uh, around the land title, it's about the transaction of money, whether it shows ownership of land, you know, um, are going to be uh, the, what we're going to see is that uh, we're so we can address these issues around uh, transparency and, and corruption and what have you, right? 
And so these these platforms that we're that are going to unfold are uh, sorry are unfolding, right? Um, the idea is that we're not going necessarily going to take art and put it on the blockchain, or not we're not necessarily going to put music on the blockchain per se, because of the nature of, of the technology, it's it's quite expensive. But the provenance or the ownership, the ownership of that is going to go on the blockchain. So perhaps before we go, we go ahead and discuss how we are ideally going to use blockchain for some of these platforms right. is I think now having the understanding of how um, Web3 is decentralized and ideally the users become the owners of their content. Perhaps you could go now to discuss how the technology behind it works in terms of probably introduce how blockchain works, you know, to someone in the audience who's probably wondering how do we go about the concept of blockchain or how exactly does the technology work? And probably let's not, let's not just focus on the finance bit of it, but also just on the overlying technology behind it and now how we can use it um, onto different things, cutting across finance, NFTs and things of that nature. Right. Okay. So I, I'm going to go back to something that I, I alluded earlier and let me start with a very simple uh, notion of this transaction, all right? So, for example, uh, making a payment, right? So Alice makes a payment of 100 shillings to Bob, okay? And you can say, well, well, what's the big deal? Why do we need blockchain technology? And what is the difference between what blockchain technology offers? And say something like M-Pesa, because I use M-Pesa to transact and I send money uh, to my, uh, uh, my accountant or my lawyer or my you know, the person who, uh, the Uber driver, the what have you, right? So what is, what is the main difference? And the, and, and the nuances are subtle, but the implications are great. So for example, and, and it goes back to this notion of being able to have a reliable and secure transaction. Okay, so in this case, a reliable and secure payment, okay? So in, if you were using M-Pesa, for example, uh, you have to create an account with Safaricom, right? And so you are using their network of computers. So as I mentioned earlier, Safaricom may have uh, computers that are distributed in a network, and this is what provides that service. And you send uh, some money to the Uber driver and it goes through their network. But the idea again, like what's happening is that you have a sort of a central owner, a single owner, and that is Safaricom. So it's possible that um, while they do have these distributed computers and they have uh, databases and what have you, it is possible at, uh, at a single point to change those transactions. So somebody could, could go in behind the scenes and, and change the amount okay, or erase the amount, or uh, get rid of records, so, or create uh, false records, right? Um, if you are privy to that system, if you can get in, then what ends up happening is that you have uh, control over that. Now, the difference in a, in, a, in, a, in a blockchain system is that, as I said, there's a network of computers but these are owned by individuals. And this is what leads to this notion, and you might have heard the term peer-to-peer -peer system. So all of these individuals, so you, I could have a, a node, uh, a machine on this network, 
somebody else. You could have millions of people owning machines that are participating in this network. And the difference is that now a copy of that database or the, a copy of those transactions manifest on all those millions of computers. So what that means is that it makes it rather difficult to kind of hack the system. Because if I, if I wanted to hack a transaction or modify a transaction that said, you know, uh, I sent 100 shillings to Michael, for example, um, I would have to change that record on like a million computers so that uh, that are all these million computers that are participating in this uh, in this network. So that is that's a key thing. So if if it, if I'm making it very difficult to go in and, and hack or change records, that gives me some some level of security and reliability, right? And the way this is done is also by adding notions of cryptography. So I can remain pseudo anonymous, right? I can have an address. And just as uh, I have like an email address, I can have a, an address and I, there is something known as private keys and public keys. So I'm, I am using these, uh, my keys or to transact and ensure and sign a contract, right? In the old days, if there was a transaction between two individuals, um, let's say between me and you, then we would have a piece of paper, we would identify what, what happened in that transaction, and then we would sign it and keep it and what happened, right? But if that paper got lost or got digitized and put on somebody else's computer, and then somebody could go in and change the fact or remove the amounts or what have you, or create false accounts and, you know, try and... Uh, um, what is it, uh, forge my signature, then, then we could create all kinds of um, situations where, again, these transactions are not secure, they're not reliable, uh, and, uh, and therefore cause problems. Karen, yes. Perhaps to, perhaps to add uh, onto that notion, because we have come to the understanding that blockchain ideally allows us to have peer-to-peer -peer transactions. That's where we remove the intermediary, like with the example of Safaricom. For those who aren't um, conversant with Safaricom, it's a fintech currently in Africa and globally that allows people to send money, but Safaricom is the fintech that's facilitating that. So if we're moving on a blockchain, we are removing Safaricom here being the intermediary. Now, I think also another thing that we could um, mention is how there is a lot of talk that tends to make Bitcoin synonymous to blockchain. So every time you want to introduce the concept of blockchain to entrepreneurs or to even a new audience, the first thing is scammer alert. This is another uh, Bitcoin boho band. So probably also um, to our audience, could you just elaborate on the difference of Bitcoin being a byproduct of blockchain technology. That's why I was asking you if we can give references um, of blockchain outside payments uh, uh, and payments and transactions, but I know we'll get to it when we start talking about DAOs. Perhaps just give that clarity of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Okay. Well, well, let's just start with the point that you that you mentioned earlier about this, this notion of, you know, Safaricom and how we would remove, we are removing the middleman from this, this transaction, right? And it, it relates to trust, right? In, in this case, we're trusting Safaricom with our data. We're trusting Safaricom with, our, uh, with the information and we trust that they will 
you know, get the transaction done from A to B, right? And so, as you mentioned, the, the example of finance is very simple to follow. But as I said, it could be extended to a transaction that says, you know, I own this, this title, I have the, I own this property, or I voted for this candidate in an election, right? That's also a transaction, right? And where did all of this come from? And that goes back to a paper back, from, back in 2009 by Satoshi Nakamoto. And he wanted to address this problem of, of how do you reliably and securely transact? And it, it built on, on work of, that had been done by others on Zcash and, and smart contracts and the like. But, but the ba basic idea around blockchain technology or also known as digital ledger technology was to, was to address this issue, right? And, and this is where um, we have Bitcoin introduced. So the idea is that if you are going to have these millions of people that are going to participate in running this network, then you need to have some kind of a consensus mechanism and there has to be some kind of an incentive for them to participate in this network, right? So what happens is that is introducing this coin called Bitcoin, right? And so you are being rewarded for participating in this network. And the term mining refers to those people who have these nodes or these machines and are participating in this network and who are facilitating the verification and the transactions uh, by doing work, right? And, and the term that's used is this proof of work consensus mechanism. So you, you solve a, uh, a fairly numerically intensive problem and uh, this relates to hashing and the, the security of this protocol, this consensus mechanism. But basically what it, it ensures that by following this protocol and by you participating in this, in this whole system, you will be rewarded with Bitcoin. And, and since that was, the, you know, that was the original paper that came out and this was the original system that it was used, uh, blockchain tends to be you know, sort of, um, sorry, when, when we talk about Bitcoin or we talk about blockchain, you know, these, these two are sort of synonymous, but actually they're quite different. And then you have Ethereum, which took this to an, a whole nother level, is that now what you're doing is you're adding code and you can do a bit more sophisticated transactions. And, and this is where you reintroduce this notion of what is known as smart contracts. And basically a smart contract is just just code, okay? Um, and it's only as smart as the developers who write that code. And so now we can do much more sophisticated things. So instead of sending money from A to B, I could send money from A to a smart contract. And that smart contract will then um, decide what to do with the, those inputs. And then, and then, uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Perhaps before we move into Ethereum, um, I think now that you have a concept of blockchain being the infrastructural technology and this public ledger that has allowed this level of interaction that is anonymous. Mm -hmm. So um, before we get to the DAOs, just introduce the concept of Ethereum, because usually 
there's also sometimes a confusion within the cryptocurrencies and when we talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum, what the difference is. Now, you've mentioned that with Ethereum, we had the ability to add code to it, which allowed us to have things like smart contracts right. that took the whole blockchain technology to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. So perhaps give us the, the new additions that allowed things like Ethereum to be the foundational basis of DAOs right. um, just before we get to defining what DAOs are and um, what you guys are doing um, at the social bees. Sure. So uh, I'm, I'm taking, I'm reading to you uh, from the transcript of an interview where uh, Vitalik uh, Buterin was being interviewed and he was talking about blockchain, uh, sorry, blockchain and Ethereum, right? And he says, this is Vitalik speaking, he says, I think of Ethereum as a general purpose blockchain. So instead of being a blockchain for one application, it, it's a blockchain that you can build any application on top of. The way that you do, uh, do this on Ethereum is you write a piece of code and you create a digital transaction that contains that piece of code and publishes it. So when you publish this transaction and that transaction gets included into the block on the blockchain, this creates an object called a contract. And this is a virtual object that the blockchain keeps track of. So a contract is an object that contains this piece of code. And then he goes to explain uh, sort of the nuances of all, all, all of that. Now, let me just take a step back. Is that uh, where did this term block come from? and think of it as just basically a, a, a number of transactions that are encapsulated together, okay, for, um, for practical purposes. So if you think about, you know, uh, a, digi a ledger, right, when you have transactions, when you come to the end of a page, you go to the next page, and when you come to the end of the, when you run out of all of those pages, you go to another ledger book, right? And so think of a page as a block of transactions. So that's where this term came from. And what happened was in order to uh, ensure the continuity and the security, there were some sophisticated mechanisms that regarded cryptography and, and connected one chain with another chain, right? So earlier when I talked about this issue of, you know, you have to, if you wanted to make change a record, um, not only would you have to change uh, one record in the database, but you would have to change the whole history uh, leading to that transaction. So it's, that's what makes it sort of almost immutable, right? So that's where the term blockchain came from. And then with Ethereum was this notion of being able to create uh, contracts and contracts are just an object. My, or my address is just an, is just an, another object. So, um, when you uh, when you send money to me, you're sending it from one um, one object to another object, uh, and that has that is tied to a particular address and has some security keys to it. Right now, a smart contract is a bit more sophisticated, and the classic example that is given is like a vending machine. Right um, in a in a vending machine, you put in coins into the machine, and and when you've entered the right amount and you make your selection as to what you want, whether you want chips or you want soda or a chocolate bar, right? It then gives you uh, that, uh, that item and then whatever change is required, right? So that's the classic uh, example that's given for a, like a smart contract. 
So you could do all kinds of sophisticated things uh, and you could develop applications on this. So that's why um, Ethereum um, that's, uh, came into prominence. But thank, thank you very much for hosting this space. Uh, both of you, you've done a great job of explaining blockchain and uh, you know Web3 basics and the possibilities. I also would like to uh, encourage everyone to go out into their local spaces and ask people, do you take Bitcoin? Do you accept Bitcoin? Do you know anything about crypto? And then, you know, begin a conversation. So thank you again for enabling me to come in. Thank you. You have been listening to Social Bees Radio, where we put the honey in the honey pots. Make sure to check out our next episode of Social Bees Radio. Till then, signing off.